Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, where we have an ongoing conversation each week about Bible questions and comments from our audience. We're happy you're able to join us today in our live viewing audience, whether it be through the Zoom app or on uh, Stephen's Facebook page. Uh, anytime during the show, as we always mention, uh, we want you to go ahead and submit us your questions and your uh, comments as we're talking about different things. We have a couple of questions we'll be talking about you, but you can ask any questions during this time period about anything, and we'll we'll address it and get get to your questions. Um, if you're joining us from the Zoom app, you have the added advantage of calling in using your voice, talking with the panelists directly. And don't worry, we don't see your video, but you only see ours. But uh, we'd invite you to go ahead and take advantage of that feature if you still decide. Either way, text us or call in, we're fine. Our panelists are Stephen from Gettysburg. Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you doing? Doing very good, thank you. Scott from Gettysburg. Scott's not with us yet, is he? I'm trying to find his. Not yet. No, not Scott's, yet. Scott's from Gettysburg. Hi, Scott, wherever you are. He's on his way in. Uh, but Jeff, Jeff, you're from Exton, Pennsylvania. Good to see you. How you doing? Very well. Very well. Thank you. Okay. Noah, our, our webcast engineer, is here as well. Hi, Noah. How you doing? Hey. Thanks hmm. for all your help in getting this thing going smoothly. Sure. I'm your host, Drew DeGrouter from Homesdale, Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody, to the program today. So, Stephen, we have a couple of questions. Uh, well, before you do that, they can text in their questions from your Facebook page just as easily. In fact, if they're on Facebook, people know how to really do that, right? Yeah. If you just leave your comments in the question, excuse me, leave your questions or comments in the comment boxes below, and we'll try to get to those as soon as we can. Thanks to everybody who tunes in through the Facebook page, and um, hope the show is helpful to you. Let us know how we can answer your questions from the scriptures. Okay, so we're going to get started with our first question that came up, but I, I want to, pre- I didn't tell you I was going to mention this, guys, but I want to preface this. I hope we don't have any pet lovers in the audience that take offense about what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> we're going to be talking so, about dogs. Is that what the first thing up? Yeah, so our, our discussion last week uh, had us talking about the origin of Satan and some of those particular questions that led us into Revelation 20. And while we were talking in that context, Randy had a question specifically about Revelation twenty-two fifteen, And he asks, who would be the dogs outside the gates in Revelation twenty-two fifteen? So if we read that text, of course, this is the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And there's kind of some uh, concluding remarks here at the end of the book. In Revelation Uh, 22, we can read verses 14 and 15. Revelation 22, starting in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So here Jesus is is speaking. We know that from verse 12, verse 16. uh, And he describes two groups of people here. Uh, You have those who have washed their robes and they have the right to the tree of life and the right to enter the city by the gates. Uh, Back in Revelation 21 and 22, we've had the description of the Lord's city, which is contrasted with the city of the world uh, kind of earlier in the book. And uh, he describes those outside. And there's this whole list of, evildoers, different 
Hines, uh, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters. But the first thing he lists is outside are the dogs. Um, what are y'all's thoughts yeah. or comments on who are the dogs? So a couple of quick thoughts. And I had a thought since we were talking just before we went live uh, that I'll kind of add. But Stephen, you and I have both spent time in, in Central America and specifically in Guatemala. And, and we're familiar with the dogs that roam around. Just real, real well-kept, purebred little lap dogs, right? <laughs> not, not exactly, but quite far from it. Just kind of mangy old mutts that roam around the, the mud roads and look for whatever scraps they can get. Uh, they're not treated the way dogs are treated in, in many places in the United States of America. And you get a picture, that's the way dogs were viewed in biblical times. Goliath says to David when David comes out to him, what, am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? Yeah. And that kind of portrays the way people would see, oh, there's a dog out there. Go out and run him off with sticks. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says, give not that which is holy to the dogs or cast your pearls before the swine. Of course, the swine, pigs, they were unclean for Jews. Dogs would have been also. And don't give that which is holy to the dogs. And, and so dogs associated with that which is unholy. Um, so it could just simply be uh, the term dogs is used in Revelation 22 to represent those that are unholy and the outsiders, kind of the outcasts, not those who are welcomed into the home or into the city. But there's this additional thought I, I was just reminded of as we were going live. And that is this. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse uh, 18, you shall not bring the hire of a harlot or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God. In the context, in connection with a harlot, dog is understood there to be used as a derogatory reference to the sodomites, the homosexual priests or the practitioners of some of the um, pagan rituals uh, where, where they would have homosexual relations in connection with their, their idolatrous practices. It's, I guess it's possible that in Revelation twenty two fifteen 15, he says, without are the dogs and the sorcerers and the fornicators and the murderers and the idolaters, Inasmuch as those other categories are very specific, um, and of course, as a, as a group, we're talking about those who are unholy, but each of the sub-members of that group, specific practitioners of some kind of immorality, including fornication, I wonder if some might suppose dogs there as a reference either to homosexual uh, practitioners or in general, or perhaps even to the specific homosexual practitioners in view is in Deuteronomy 23. Just a thought to throw out there. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't connected it with that passage in Deuteronomy before. Did you mention in the Philippians? We did not. I didn't mention that. Go ahead. I just found that was as Philippians, what is it, 3, verse 2, uh, Paul saying, um, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, I don't know if that's three different categories of people. We know that the mutilating of the flesh refers to the uh, Judaizing teachers who wanted to force circumcision upon yeah. new Gentiles coming in to Christ. Uh, yeah, in the context there, it seems he's focused on that one issue. And so I would say he's using all those terms of, of the Judaizing teachers. And so dogs there. Okay. But it, and so that adds another level there that every time dogs are being used as a, a term it's a negative term negative it's unholy yeah yeah 
Thanks for the question, Randy. Yes, I hope that's helpful. Always good to ask those questions um, about the specific group because that the term dogs doesn't come up a whole lot in the New Testament, but uh, certainly it's those those outside, those who are unholy. Our second question today, if there aren't any other comments on that first one, uh, comes from Luke, and this uh, came in a few weeks ago, and I uh, unfortunately forgot uh, that we had received it until recently. Um, so I hope this isn't coming back too late. I think statute of limitations must have run out on it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know well, one did, right, Jeff, on one of your questions? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, it's just gotten demoted. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll get to so, it. We'll get to it. So Luke's question has to do with Matthew chapter 10 and verse 23 and the coming of the Son of Man. So his question uh, the specific question is, to what event did the, did the coming of the Son of Man refer to in Matthew 10, 23? And then his comments on it, he says, It appears to me that the coming of the Son of Man has several possible references, each with their own passages. We can take the coming of the Son to mean the destruction of Jerusalem, the resurrection ascension, and the final coming. I wonder if you'll have any useful passages to help distinguish between them. Specifically, it concerns Matthew 10, 23, because Jesus says, quote, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes, end quote. Is Jesus saying that the preaching to Israelite cities would be incomplete upon this reference to coming? Or is he simply saying that preaching will always be, will be always ongoing even when this coming happens? Thanks. Thanks, Luke, for your question. It's a good question. So let's turn to that passage in Matthew chapter 10. <laughs> I'll tell you what, let's do it the other way. Let me read the passage, and then you answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the passage is Matthew chapter 10, and I'm going to start back in verse uh, 22 and just get verses 22 and 23. The con- context includes the statement back in verse 6, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then in verse 22 and 23, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee into the next. For verily I say to you, you shall not have gone through the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. So Stephen, Drew, what you got about that? <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, Jeff. Nicely let, me, done. Let, me throw, let me throw this in first. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... Every time the term son of man coming or the Lord coming doesn't necessarily mean the same thing every time it's used, right? Yes. And Scott has a helpful chart on that, but Scott is not here yet. So we'll just have to wait. No, we we can, you can take a stab uh, while we're waiting for Scott because he does have some helpful uh, material um, that he's put together because you're right, Drew, the coming of the son of man does not, always refer to the same event. And that's one reason there's a lot of confusion. And one reason for Luke's question is because, well, the coming of the son of man could refer to several different things. There's different passages where it does refer to different events. Clearly. Let me, ask, let me add, an, add a question on top of that though. Does it always mean regardless of what event it may be referring to, does it always refer to a judgment? I think so. I think that's right. I, 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 while, while we're doing our best to stall until Scott gets oh, here, here he is. <laughs> Scott is coming in. Hi, Scott. Well, let me just, just mention time. real quick, just the phrase son of man, uh, before we talk about the coming of the son of man, just the phrase son of man, of course, goes back to Daniel, the seventh chapter. And in the vision in Daniel chapter seven, as you see the demise of the four world kingdoms, the four world empires, and uh, God gives uh, 
to the king, gives his kingdom to and dominion to one like unto a son of man. And so rooted in that passage, there's the concept of the coming Messiah being designated as the son of man. And so when we see these phrases, when Jesus talks about the son of man or the son of man coming, the idea is the Christ coming in his power in one way or another, whether it be a judgment in time or a judgment at the end of time. Very good. And that's Daniel seven thirteen is that uh, passage. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. All right, so Scott, we've done our best to, to beat around the bush until you can answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've beaten a good path yeah, around the, the bush. The bush may need some more beating. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just beat around it. You can beat it. <laughs> Scott, while you're finding your charts on that, I want to say this about Matthew chapter 10. This was recently pointed out to me, and I thought this was helpful. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 is one of the sermons in the book of Matthew. I believe there's five, uh, the way most people divide it, five longer discourses of Jesus and in Matthew. And I believe this sermon can be divided into three parts. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, at the very end of chapter nine, disciples uh, have just been instructed to pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then they're going to become part of their answer to that prayer jesus is going to send them out and so at the beginning of 10 he calls the 12 to him gives them authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal diseases and things like that and then in matthew chapter 10 5 through 15 i believe he gives a very specific commission to these 12 that they're going to go into a, a local area and they're given specific things that they're not supposed to take with them they're not supposed to take uh, you know, any money or bag or two tunics or things like that. And they're to, you know, stay with different people on that particular trip. But that's going to be pretty limited. In ch- verses 16 through 23, it appears that Jesus has in view a broader commission that they're going to go on because he talks about uh, verse 18 being dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. That's not something that they would do until a good bit later uh, when Jesus issues the Great Commission at the end of Matthew and chapter 28. And then at the, the last part of the sermon, in some ways, after he talks about discipleship, starting in verse 24 and really going all the way to the end of the chapter, certainly has to do with what the disciples, the 12, will be doing. But it even, I think, has a broader application for just people going forward. He talks about it and come to bring peace, but a sword. And there's going to be, uh, you know, members of your own household that are set against each other. And so I think that three part division in Matthew 10 is, is a helpful one. And it may help us answer specifically about this question about the coming of the son of man in verse 23. So um, Stephen, Scott, he, he only uses that term uh, before the son of man comes. Of, of those three sections. This is the only section he uses that term in, right? I believe so. It's just in that second part that okay. uh, I think he's talking specifically to the 12 when he says, uh, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. That that's, he has the 12 in mind in okay. the context there. All right. So with that background, it's good, good background there, Stephen. Uh, Scott, you want to, yeah, th- this chart, it isn't so much about, uh, 
like I said, uh, if somebody's looking for me to have all the answers, then y'all need to keep beating the bush for a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just making an observation, and, and it kind of keys off of, you remember in Luke chapter 17, I don't know if y'all mentioned this, but in verse 22, Jesus said, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Uh, and I mean, there could be a sense in which everybody would like to see just one of his days, but thinking of one of his days of coming, just to, to consider these charts, uh, here. Uh, and so first off external context shows how a word can be used. Immediate context point us to how a word is being used or might be being used in a particular passage. And looking at uh, passages about the coming of the Lord, for example, in the Old Testament, the Lord comes to battle. The Lord came down. Let us go down and confound their language. Uh, coming to Sinai, the Lord will come down in the sight of all people upon Mount Sinai. To Moses in the 70, the Lord came down in a cloud and spake. Uh, judgment on Egypt, you recall from Isaiah 19.1, is described how? The burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt. But the context goes on to describe kind of a civil war then going on, uh, stirring up the Egyptians against the Egyptians. Judgment coming on Babylon. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Babylon shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaiah 13. The coming ruler from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, out of you shall come forth. Unto me, that is to be ruler, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Uh, Micah 5. There's the coming of the Son of Man that Jeff mentioned again a few minutes ago in Daniel, uh, coming with the clouds. To him is given dominion, glory, and kingdom. Hey, Scott, real quick. Yes. Um, for our viewers who may be listening and aren't able to see these charts, whether they're listening on the podcast or whatever, I just wanted to read through those okay, right. specific scripture references. The coming of Babel, Genesis 11, 5-7. Lord coming to Sinai, Exodus 19.11. Moses in the 70, that's Numbers 11.25. The coming uh, and judgment on Egypt is Isaiah 19. I think you said verse 1. You have verse 11 oh, on there. No, it is verse 1, I believe. Verse 1. Uh, the judgment on Babylon, Isaiah 13, verses 9 and 19. The coming ruler from Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. And the son of man receive, the coming of the son receiving his kingdom, Daniel 7.13 and 14. Go ahead, Scott. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, coming to the New Testament, in uh, it, the, the reference in Matthew 2 to Micah 5, the one that will come out of Bethlehem, John chapter 1, verse 9, he's the true light that comes into the world. John the Baptist will say in Luke 3, verse 16, one mightier than I comes. Matthew eight eleven, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Mark ten forty five, he came to give his life. And of course, just traveling from place to place. He comes to Capernaum, comes to Galilee, comes to Jerusalem in a number of passages. And then coming in comfort to the apostles. I will not leave you comfortless. This is in the section there in John, after he's washed their feet, before he's arrested, letting know I'm going to go away. The Holy Spirit will come. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you little yet a little while. The world will see me no more, but you see me. That's John 14, 18 through 19. Then there's coming on, coming judgment on Jerusalem. Sun coming in the clouds. You shall see the sign of some sun coming, Matthew 26, 64. Uh, he will come and destroy those men, give the vineyard to others, Mark 12, verse 9. 
and coming in fellowship in John 14, 23. If a man loves me, he will keep my words. My father will love him and we will come unto him, make our abode with him. And then there's the coming to the father, John 17, 11 through 13. I'm no more in the world. Now I come to thee, to the father. And then coming to the apostles and resurrection appearances. The same day came Jesus, stood in their midst. And Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. That's John 19, starting uh, John 20, starting verse 19. And lastly, of course, there's his coming in the last day until he come. John chapter uh, 21. And uh, till the Lord come in First Corinthians 4. We take the Lord's Supper and remember his death, First Corinthians 11, until he come. And Christ will raise up uh, believers from the dead at his coming, First Corinthians 15, First Thessalonians 4. So let me just interject something before you go on here. Um, we, we were talking just as you were coming on to the webcast with us about the expression, the coming of the Son of Man. I think the question was, is it always in judgment? Obviously, this is kind of a comprehensive development of the idea of the Lord's coming or comings. Various kinds of comings. Yeah, various kinds of comings. Uh, to my knowledge, and correct me if you can think of a passage otherwise, when you see these specific expressions, the coming of the Son of Man or the Son of Man in his coming, those passages are, are judgment passages, or at least they're passages where there's a judgment component. Is that right, or can you think of an exception? I can't think of one where that's not the case. And, of course, in a judgment one, you also have a victory for the righteous. Right, and right, right. Yeah, I can't think of a passage uh, uh, with that phraseology that would be something different from that. So you guys are speaking so fast. Let me just slow it down again. So you're saying that both of you, and I agree with you, there's really not an example where, the coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord is always referring to as a judgment as opposed to being something of a positive. Well, I don't want to say negative or positive, but it's something that's non-judgmental, such as in John 14, 23, that's a positive thing, but it's not referred to as the coming of the Lord. It's not referring to the coming of the day. Is that I think the stuff was referring to was the coming of the son of man. That's it. Coming of the son of man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like when Jesus goes into Galilee or Capernaum, it doesn't say, and then the Son of Man came into Capernaum. Right. Uh, that's a phrase Jesus will use about himself uh, and often referring to uh, different things or major events, whereas when uh, a gospel writer is just telling us about Jesus moving about through the countryside, he's going to call him Jesus. Okay. okay. So where are you going with all of this, Scott? Oh, just showing the that, that I'm, I'm not – trying to nail down with this for sure, which passage is which, okay. but just to clarify that we do have, uh, like back in Luke 17, we said the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man. And so a mistake we can make is where we try to force everything into the same hole. You know, okay. those toys that kids have, and there's a hole for a triangle, hole for a square, hole for a circle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One goes in one place, one goes in a different place. And there's some other time, I don't want to get all into it today, but um, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on these days with a full preterist view, trying to make everything uh, all just one thing. And that's just a mistake when we come to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so back so, to the question then in verse 10, uh, Matthew 10, 23, where do we stand with that particular event or the context that he's talking about that event? 
Well, Luke mentions in his question three possibilities, uh, and we can kind of take those in turn and say, well, here's some advantages to that. Here's some disadvantages to that. The first one that he mentions is it could be the destruction of Jerusalem. So it would be the coming of the Son of Man in judgment on the city of Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. Which is a major New Testament event. Yes, and Jesus does talk very specifically about that in Matthew 24. Uh, in, the, in the parallel passages in Mark and Luke. What might be a disadvantage or at least a question mark that we might throw up in regards to that? One of the challenges there is the language of Matthew ten twenty three says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. If that is referring to, says, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before Jerusalem is destroyed. That's going to happen about 40 years after uh, Jesus is speaking these words. It seems a little strange to say, well, you won't even have finished the local, if he's referring to the towns of Israel as in the towns of the Jews. It seems like in 40 years, they would have had time to. By 7 AD, things are spread across the Mediterranean, and you would think that. In fact, fact, Paul says that too. Doesn't Paul say that, that the gospel went out to all the Yeah, Colossians 1. In Matthew Matthew 24, Jesus says the gospel would be preached to the whole world before before the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. But, you know, personally, I don't really see a a problem with that. I can can see the language, the gospel has been preached to the whole world, being true and having been accomplished without necessarily meaning every single individual or every single village has, has received the gospel. Um, or even this, the gospel has been preached to the whole world, but these apostles have not necessarily gone to every village in Israel by that time. I'm not saying that's the interpretation. I'm just saying if, if, if all the evidence were that it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem as the coming of the Son of Man in Matthew 10, 23, I'm not sure that language would, would um, be definitive against it. Are you saying that yeah. because that this, is, this statement is made to the apostles and maybe they hadn't gone through all the towns, but other disciples have gone to fulfill what Paul had said. You're saying that's a possibility? Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Yeah, and it may just be the more general idea that you'll still be going from town to town preaching when this destruction happens. Yeah, Um, it's another idea that uh, Luke mentions in his email, Stephen. Another one is that he could refer to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Um, which is not exactly a judgment coming, although there is a sense in which, I mean, uh, even the events of his resurrection ascension and the later events in Acts chapter 2, Joel, his prophecy talks about the sun being darkened, the moon turning to blood and things. There's a sense in which when Jesus is proclaimed as king, that is Then his resurrection judge Satan at that day? There is a sense, yes, in which uh, there's a victory won, a blow against Satan, he crushes Satan's head and defeating uh, death to some extent. Of course, the last enemy to be defeated is death, and that is yet future for us, 1 Corinthians 15. So uh, that could fit here, um, and, and that would fit a little better with the literal reading of uh, you haven't finished going through the towns of Israel, uh, although that's really soon. I mean, that's even before he gives the Great Commission. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Go ahead, go ahead. I think looking back at uh, verse 18 of Matthew 10, where he talks about them being dragged before governors and kings, bearing witness before them 
and the Gentiles has more in view uh, the Great Commission, that they're going out into the world and before, you know, you won't have finished doing that before he's risen from the dead or ascended. That doesn't seem to fit the timetable either. Scott, go ahead. Two observations. One, uh, talking about Jesus after his ascension, and read this passage a minute ago. Let's read it again. John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you desolate. I come to you. Yet a little while, the world beholds me no more, but you behold me because I live. Now, in the text, he also talks about he's going to send the Spirit to them. But this sounds like it may be referring to you're going to see me. The world's not going to see me, but you will see me. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter said, he showed himself not to all men, but certain that were chosen to be witnesses. And that's called a coming here. And of course, that is very soon. But then keep in mind, what, what does Mark 9, 1 say? Uh, you know, uh, truly I say unto you, some of you that stand here will not die till you see the kingdom come, you know, with glory, with power. Uh, and if you heard him say that, you might think that that was 5, 10, 20 years away, but actually wasn't, wasn't very far away. This is a couple of thoughts. Yeah. So the third option would be is the final coming. Uh, of course, him coming in judgment at the end of time. Uh, that seems unlikely in this specific context because he's talking to these 12 guys saying, you're going to go out, you're going to face this persecution. When you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I don't think we still have apostles going from one town to the next, uh, waiting for the final coming of the Lord. And so I I don't think this is that third coming. I think we can pretty well rule that one out with the context here. My personal take, I think in this specific context, looking at that three-part division of Matthew 10, uh, I think it's most likely the destruction of Jerusalem. There's some challenging things to that view that we've already mentioned. Um, again, I'm not dogmatic about that, but that's what I suspect it is from the context. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Unless we have some questions from the, the audience today, why don't we move on? Drew, was that our first question or our second question? Cause I came in like, that was, well, that, that was the second question. You missed Then the You know one. what time it is. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, wait a minute. It's, Jeff, did you have any final notes on that last question? No, no, I don't. We we were actually supposed to deal with those two questions briefly, and I think we've uh, thoroughly exhausted <laughs> it. Okay, we're we're really good at the brief thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what you, that's what happens when you get four preachers together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Thirty minutes right. is pretty brief. So, so we haven't done this. In U- a while. Uticus already fell out of the window, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so it is. Ta- what time is it now for Drew? It's a uh, it, well. It's a time for what's your favorite verse of the day of the day? No, let's put it this way. What's your favorite verse, Stephen? And we know that your favorite verse changes from day to day or from week to week, right? I mean, we're not looking at one that's always the favorite. What does that mean? You don't like a passage as much as you liked it last week? That's why I'm trying to, I'm trying to qualify this here. Right, right. Today, Stephen, what is your favorite verse and why? Not yeah. just what it is. No, I uh, I certainly have a lot of different favorite verses. It's difficult to pick just one. Um, what but is I've been a doing favorite some, verse? A favorite verse. Uh, 
today, at least um, I've been doing some, some preparation to teach through the Psalms soon. And I was doing some reading recently in Psalm 94 in verse 19. I've been reminded about how helpful this verse has been to me in the past. And uh, we'll read that together. This is a, a Psalm celebrating that the Lord is ruler uh, over the earth and he's a God of vengeance. He, he, he vindicates uh, those who trust in him and the righteous. And in Psalm 94 and verse 19, uh, specifically this verse says, uh, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And I think I like that the new American standard of that particularly, um, do any of you have the new American standard in front of you right now? I've got it. Well, how does that read Jeff? I hadn't actually turned to the passage. Psalm 94. 94, 19. 9419 in the New American Standard. Now, if I bought an American Standard, but it's brand new. It would be a New American Standard. <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 9419 in a New American Standard that is not brand new. Uh, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, thy consolations delight my soul. Yeah, I just think that this uh, verse describes uh, many times in our life when we feel overwhelmed, we feel bombarded by anxious thoughts uh, or, or by the cares of our heart. Um, we're just worried about this, we're worried about that, we're worried about the other thing. And sometimes they seem to multiply within us. I think the New American Standard rendering of that uh, describes well what often happens. And this verse talks about when that happens, your consolations the consolations of God cheer my soul. And I thought we might talk for just a couple minutes on just practical ways that that can happen. Um, we're dealing with just a lot of things in the news, uh, things in our, our lives that are, it causes us to be anxious. It causes us to worry a good bit. Uh, I mean, just for, for us last night, uh, Fiona, my daughter had, uh, had a fever. It got kind of high last night and, we're worried about that. You know, there's just lots of times where uh, the day in day out things of life are, are weighing on us. Um, and this verse has been helpful to me in, in remembering in those moments, we need to turn to the Lord. We need to pray to him. Do y'all have thoughts just practically speaking on when you are feeling overwhelmed, when you're struggling with something in particular, uh, how the consolations of God are helpful in those moments. I'll tell you one thing I, I just, I remember when my kids were at that age where they were going out on their own, um, maybe making a long drive to see a friend or making a long drive, maybe going to school, you know, hundreds of miles away and they're going to be driving. They're, they're in my mind, they're not yet adults. They're still kids, but they're out there, you know, on their own. And, or they're coming to visit us and they're not going to be getting in until two o'clock in the morning or whatever. I remember many times in those, in those situations, uh, just being very concerned for their safety and being able to go to God and pray his blessing upon them, his watch over them, his care for them. And then at that point I, I, I could, I could relax. Not that I knew there was some guarantee that they were going to arrive at my house safely or they were going to arrive at their destination safely. But it was in the hands of the one who cared for them even more than I did and who could do whatever and would do whatever was his will and that his will was good for them and that he would hear my prayer and take my prayer into consideration. And to me, 
once, once I'd put it in his hands in that way, it was a great comfort. Drew. Yeah, that, uh, that scripture in, in Psalms also then relates uh, to um, Matthew six twenty five. Jesus talks about don't be anxious for anything about your life. And that was right after him talking about laying up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth, physical uh, things. And based on what you were, what you were saying is that we can pray to the Lord and have that comfort, like you say, because we trust him. We know he's carried out everything he said he's going to carry out. The ultimate event obviously is the resurrection of Christ. If Christ was raised from the dead, there's nothing else that matters more than that. And therefore I can trust the Lord. And when he says, don't lay up uh, treasures on earth, only lay up treasures that are in heaven. He says in verse 25, therefore, because of that, I tell you, don't, don't be anxious about your life. And he then gives the explanation that the Lord cares more about you than all of the other things, other than the, the what was it, the animals or the flowers. The... So if that's the case, he is going to take care of us. We may not know, and like you said, Jeff, we may not see everything work out exactly the way we want it, but it's probably, don't care about your life, your body, your physical things. Yeah, Scott. And in addition to the trials and, and, and waves of problems that come to us personally, which, which is going to happen, uh, and as we grow older, our, our health is going to fail, and, and those of our friends and loved ones and things, uh, but even just big historical things that happen in falls of nations and empires. Mm. Um, go back in our country a little bit. Just think of the uncertainty and the turmoil of what it was like if, if we were living during the time of the civil war uh, and, and, and what's going on, or then world war one or world war two. Yeah. Um, if, if there's a nuclear detonation, uh, when this country falls, I mean, you look back across history, there was a point in which, Egypt was one of the most powerful countries in the world. It's been a long time since Egypt was one of, you know, the leading most powerful countries in the world. But it, it, for, at times it was. And then the Roman Empire. And, and then, you know, this empire and that empire, this nation, that nation, this political party, that political party. France, you know. France used to be one of the most powerful nations. <laughs> <laughs> have to get a dig in at France. Be careful, Jeff. This is the internet. We're broadcasting globally. No, no, yeah. Our podcasts are coming in from all over the my world. My ancestor Gabriel Bobo. <laughs> yeah. Take offense. Yeah. But by the time it got to me, it was just Bobo. Right. <laughs> right. So um, some of our best ancestors are French. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, but yeah, and 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 so you look at Paul when he writes Philippians and what are some things going wrong for Paul when he writes Philippians? He's imprisoned on some level, whether it's house arrest or he's in a, a prison cell, prison. he is unable to really live his life like he would like. Yeah. Guard. Roman um, the, some people that should be supporting him or do, in, in some manner of strife, kind of stabbing him in the back. Uh, there's the potential that he's going to be executed, even though he was innocent. Uh, there's a lot of problems there. Uh, but yeah, what's, what are the dominant words in Philippians? Rejoice. 
joy. Yeah. Rejoice in joy. And when he gets to chapter four, verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. It's not wrong to rejoice in other things. Uh, the, the husband is told in Proverbs chapter five to rejoice in wife of his youth. The wife of his youth it should rejoice in that. But guess what? Uh, every married man is either going to be, even where people do what God's will is and stay together, there's a reason why we say till death do us part, because unfortunately it does. And that's a painful thing. And if a wedded couple has not faced widow uh, or widow uh, widower status yet, they will. Uh, in other words, there's a great joy there, but that's something we don't get to keep here forever. Uh, health. People take joy in their health. That's good. But do we get to keep it forever? You know, the, there's all sorts of things that can be appropriate to take joy in besides things that we shouldn't be taking joy in, the pleasures of sin for a season. But what's the one thing they could not take away from Paul? The Lord. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord. That's right. In fact, it was in Philippi where he was singing the midnight when he was in prison, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good point. And he's talking about, yeah. in that context, he was rejoicing while he's beaten and in prison. Yeah, yeah. And he, he mentioned in the flipping letter, the same sufferings that you saw in me mm -hmm. and now here to be in me. Yeah. Very yeah. Good. And I think really all of that goes back to, when you think about this, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. It really comes back to a delight in the nature of God himself. When we really come to know God and see his character, see the way that he deals with people over time. I think that's one reason why the old Testament and the new Testament are so helpful to us is we don't just see instruction, but we see real people struggling, doubting, falling, getting back up again. And we see the way the Lord deals with people, how he brings them through trials, strengthens them, how there's a lot of purpose in pain when we're serving the Lord, uh, that there are benefits of, of hurting and how that helps us to grow. And it all comes back to being able to trust in a God who is able to take care of us through the pain or to deliver us from the pain. I appreciate again, what Jeff said, you know, when, your kids are traveling and you're putting them in God's hands and you can trust God that he loves us. He wants what's best for us eternally. And it doesn't mean he's not going to let us hurt. He's not going to let tragedy happen, but it means that he can use each of those things to help us ultimately and to, for, so that he would be glorified. I think humble, the other, uh-huh, go ahead, Jeff. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your anxiety upon him because yeah. he cares for you. First Peter 5, uh, 6 and 7. Yes, rooted yeah. in the character of God. Cast your care on him because he cares for you. This is a, this is a marvelous truth uh, to think that the God of all creation has revealed himself to us in such a way so that we can know that he loves us. Uh, I, I've heard this quoted before uh, that there was some theologian who asked, who was asked, uh, what's the most profound thought that you've ever seen or, or read, you know, about biblical things. And he answered, Jesus loves me. This I know. 
or the Bible tells me so. And I think that that is, it's helpful that we can know that whether or not that particular story is true or not. Um, it really is profound because God cares for us. That was a very good uh, favorite verse that you brought in today. I put up the screen. We're coming to the end of the program. And uh, anybody wants to contact us, uh, you can contact us using our email directly, or you can go to BibleQuest.tv and fill out the form on that page. Ask us anything you want. Um, if you're if you're listening to us on on our uh, podcasts, uh, those podcasts, uh, the show, the program rather is always broadcast live on Tuesday. We get the podcast up on the servers before the weekend, and that goes live. I'm sorry, that published in on Sunday afternoons. Uh, but you don't see any of the slides, so we're, we're sorry you don't see see any of the video. Join us though each week if you can on the. Um, live show, whether it's on Facebook or the uh, Zoom app through BibleQuest.tv. Guys, I really appreciate all your efforts today. Any other thoughts and comments before we sign off? Oh, just real quick. I really appreciate you guys. You guys do such a great job. Stephen, nice job of analyzing the text and biting up into categories. Scott, great, great slides. I, you know what? I can do that kind of stuff too. I just, it just close with this. I, I've got a chart here. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and I just, I've got three sections, you know, and they are uh, intro body and conclusion. So I just, I just want to say, you, guys you, you must've gone to the same chart school at uh, who did that? Uh, <laughs> Neat, wow. uh, Newt Gingrich, didn't he use the charts like that? I don't know. <laughs> Ross Perot, Ross Perot. Well, he did that, right. He puts yeah, up the chart. Yeah. Good, very good. All right. Bye-bye. Nice charts. Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks everyone. I see you all next week. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Week.